Amen. The title of my message this morning is The Multiply Effect. The Multiply Effect. And yesterday in our, in our staff meeting, or in our executive meeting, excuse me, we were just kind of talking about just something that had been on my heart for a little while was, uh, are, we still, are we still discipleship? Because it's very easy to chase rabbits. It's very easy to get caught up in, in the, the busyness of church. How many people know that, that Mary and Joseph were caught up in the busyness of going down to the temple, going down to the feast, hanging out with all the relatives that they lost Jesus. And so if Mary and Joseph can lose Jesus, it's, it's easy for us to, to lose Jesus, to lose the, the central purpose, to lose the mission, to lose the objective. And uh, it's, it's not a bad thing on a regular basis just to come back and say, hey, are we still doing the basics well? Are we still on point? Are we still on mission? Are we still running with the right, right priorities? So, uh, so the title of this message is The Multiply Effect. Genesis 128, Genesis 128, Genesis 128, the Bible says, And the Lord blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue, exercise dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. Genesis 128, Genesis 128. So in Genesis 128, God, God gives what I believe is, is the, original, the original commission. He said to man, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth and I want you to subdue. There's some stuff here. Don't, don't let it bring you under. You bring it under. You don't, I've put you in authority. And so you're, you're to walk in that authority, which means that there's some stuff that is going to come at you. that's going to combat you that you need to, to bring under power. This is really important. The, the, the tree in Genesis 3 only makes sense when you understand Genesis 1.28. In Genesis 3, God put a tree in the garden. They put Adam and Eve in that garden to tend and keep that tree. And there were trees all through the garden, but there was one tree that God says you can't eat from that tree. You can't. All the trees you can freely eat, but there's one tree that belongs to me, and you're not to eat from that tree. So a lot of people, when you first read it, think, my God, you know, why would God put that tree there if he, but God had to put the tree there because Adam and Eve were given authority. They were given authority over the earth. They were given authority that to exercise dominion, fish of the sea, birds of the air, over everything the Lord God had made. But authority doesn't come from title. Authority doesn't come from position. Authority is a functioning element. And that authority comes from being under authority, comes from being submitted to authority. And so God was saying, there's a tree here and you will have authority while you stay in obedience. But the moment you reach out in disobedience, you will lose the authority. And I think we did a great job in Hero where in exchange for the apple, the devil got the authority, the devil got the keys. The largest real estate transaction in human history happened on that day where the entire earth changed hands and was now in Satan's grip. So, so Genesis 1.28, we see God's original intent. We, we see God's original intent. When Adam, when Adam rejected God's word, 
when he rejected God's word, something happened. When, when he disobeyed, when he ate the fruit, his, his DNA became defiled. Sin came in. Death came in. His DNA became defiled. The reason this is the case is because God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Uh, the, 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 the word came before the action. If I had two eggs, one egg was fertilized and the other egg wasn't, you couldn't tell from the outside which one was fertilized and which one wasn't. From the outside, they look exactly the same. The, the, one, the one that is fertilized, the only difference between the eggs is the one that is fertilized has, has a word, has a DNA. Has a, it, is, it is codified to produce a little chick, to produce a chicken. The other one is just a yolk that you can cook. What, from the outside, they both look the same. One has received the word. One has received a code. One has received DNA. And so it is producing life. When Adam rejected God's word, his seed became corrupted. So then in Matthew 18, uh, 28, 18 to 20, Jesus says, Therefore, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them, teaching them to observe the things that I taught you. It's, it's exactly the same mission. It's instead of Adam procreating and filling the earth with sons and daughters of God through his natural seed, the, the second Adam, Jesus, comes with perfect DNA. The only begotten of God that came through a virgin but he comes speaking the word of God and he's saying now what, what got us into this mess was a rejection of the word of God. Now go and preach the word of God and all who receive that word will receive a heavenly code into them. They will be born again. They are the sons and the daughters of God in the earth. And so our job is to preach the gospel, to preach the word of God. All that receive the word of God become the sons of God. All that reject the word of God become those who perish. So our job is to preach the, the, the word of God so that people get saved. Does that make sense? So I know it's a little bit of theology, but I was just, it, was just, it was just kind of exploding, so I thought I'm, I'm going to share it. All right, so uh, we, we, are not, we are not what I would call like a, a soul salvation obsessed church, even though we want to see people saved. Our mission is to get people saved. Uh, but that's, we, 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 we see it that when people get saved, that's not the end of the job. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. For many years, it troubled me because I was, I'd always hear, you know, souls. And we're crying out for souls. And we're believing for souls. We're believing for souls. But I couldn't find it in the Scriptures. It's because getting people saved is not the end of a thing. It's the beginning of a thing because we're called to go into all the world and make disciples. So we found ourselves redefining what is a disciple. Some, when I was in Bible college, they said a disciple is a disciplined follower of Jesus. But that's not true because you could be a disciplined follower of Jesus living in a cave and never reproduce. So Adam and Eve were meant to reproduce sons and daughters originally who reproduced sons and daughters who reproduce. It's meant to be perpetual. So the, you and I are here today because a previous generation paid a price 
did discipleship and so we are here today and we know that the future is dependent on how effective we are at discipling. So I'm determined that, that, that I'm going to go out of this life into glory, fulfilling my assignment of raising up powerhouse warrior disciples, men and women who know how to make disciples, who know how to make disciples, who know how to make disciples. Can somebody say amen? So I remember when, when we were living in New Zealand and, and uh, not all church models are the same. Not, not, you know, one of, the, one of the, the, the saddest things, I think, is that God puts men in charge of church. One of the greatest privileges, I think, is that God puts men in charge of church. If, if those men don't deal with their, their issues, it, it can become very unpleasant at times. For So we were in a situation where I was pretty much in charge of everything, ushers, deacons, security, Wednesday night services, Thursday night dean of the Bible college, Friday night junior high, high school, Saturday night young adults, Sunday services, second string worship leader, uh, uh, security, maintenance, building maintenance, cafe, you name it, no, no PA, no cell phone, no computer. And so I was, I was, I was run ragged. At the same time, um, we, God had really blessed us. We, we, had uh, Geordie, Leanne was pregnant with little Ash, we were paid peanuts. It was, it was pressure from every single side. It was pressure from every single side. And because of all the rejection that I'd had growing up, I felt like I could just bury that in the busyness of pursuing God, that God would see my heart and he would see my my pursuit. He would see my busying of myself around the things of the kingdom that he would take care of this stuff over here. The problem is you can bury your past, but like a zombie, it keeps getting up and chasing you. You can't, you can't, you can't deny your past. It won't go away by ignoring it, by pretending it's not there. You've got to, got to deal with it. So because I had all this rejection, I felt like if I was just submitted, then, then, you know, this stuff would go away only to find that it was taking a toll on, on every, every area of my life. And I've never been so close to being burned out. And I remember just taking Jordan to Whitcool's, which was a bookstore and we're in a bookstore and I was, I was literally crying out and Jordan was maybe 20 months old. And we're in Whitcalls, and I said, God, you, you've got to give me wisdom. You, you've got to give me some help. And I was going to buy Jordan a book because I used to enjoy reading to him at night. It was one of the great little connections that we had. I'd read to him till he fell asleep. And so I was buying a book. And, but I was crying out to God, saying, God, I, I just I, I feel like I've got nothing left in the tank. I feel like I've been running on empty, running on fumes. And I looked in front of me, and there was a book called The Animal School. The animal school. And it was like a group of animals got together and they decided to, to be a great thing to start a school. And so the, the, the fox said, well, you know, part of the curriculum's, you know, got to be running. And so they put down, well, absolutely running. And, uh, and, and the eagle said, well, you've got to have flying in there. And so they put down flying. And the duck said, oh, I, I, like, I like flying. And, and uh, what about swimming? And so they put in swimming. And, uh, and then the squirrel said, climbing, you've got to have climbing in there. So they put in climbing. So I'm just kind of looking, it's got all the cute little illustrations and, you know, little. And so Jordan's, you know, with me and he's kind of looking. As I turn the page, uh, it said, so they began the school and the duck made uh, great grades in flying. Barely scraped through in running, but failed 
climbing. So I'm looking at it and then I turn the page and it says, so uh, the teacher said, listen, you're already making enough grades in flying uh, and you kind of got it in, in um, swimming. Why don't you focus on running and climbing? Your two weak areas. So I turn the page again and the little guy's running on and trying to climb with his wings and I keep turning the page. And as I turn the page again, I see his wings were so busted up and his little webbed feet were so worn out that he could no longer swim. He could no longer fly. He couldn't climb. And it was like the word of the Lord hit me. I just began to weep in Whitcurls because I realized that if I was operating outside my gifting, if I was operating outside my anointing, that, that there were things that I was doing that, that was detracting from me and so so God began to show me very very early on the need for discipleship why discipleship is so important so let me give you a few scriptures Genesis 14 14 point number one uh, this is the awakened blueprint for discipleship if, if anyone says hey you know do you have a blueprint this is the blueprint Genesis 14 14 in Genesis 14 14 it says so Abraham armed the 318 servants who were born in his house. So Abraham armed the 318 servants who were born in his house. So we know the story, Lot's been taken captive. There are four kings that have, that have taken Lot captive. And when Abraham heard that his nephew had been taken captive by these four kings, Abraham immediately goes into warfare. Abraham arms the 318 servants who were born in his house. So let's, let's look at the three things that are really important. Number one is DNA. DNA. They were born in his house. They carried his DNA. Before, before they were servants, before they were armed, they were born in his house. Uh, one of the most important things is, is that we don't just say recognize someone as a leader and then say, my God, look at the leadership gift. Because we have people all the time. I was a pastor over here and I was apostle over there and I was a prophet and I was a bishop. I was this and I was that. Hey, you need to slot me straight into a leadership position. Yeah, and I'm thinking, man, well, if you were that good, how come you're not still there? How come you're wandering aimlessly like a vagabond, you know, coming here, you know, puffing your chest out looking for a position? So we're not foolish enough, but, but even great gifted and great talented people, you need to understand there's got to be congruency of DNA. There's got to be a congruency of the values of the house, the values of their heart. Do they have the same spirit? Jesus had to rebuke the disciples when they said, join us to call fire down on them. And Jesus, guys, you don't know what manner of spirit you're in. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save men's lives. Jesus worked on making sure that they had his values. What's interesting, when, when uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, Ruel, meets with Moses and he says, man, you're going to burn out, dude. The, the pathway you're on from early in the morning, like from 5 a.m. right through to midnight, you're meeting with the people and they're presenting problem after problem after. You're going to kill them and they're going to kill you. You can't do this. You've got you to develop leaders and you've got to develop teams. You've got to get some structure or the weight of all this blessing and the weight of what you're carrying is going to destroy you. You've got to apply some wisdom here. You, know, you need to appoint captains of 10,000s, 1,000s, you know, hundreds and, and 50s. 
And so Moses cries out to God. So God does this. He says, listen, we're going to choose 70 elders. You're going to have 70 elders. And then God said this. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the spirit that is on you and I'm going to take some of it and I'm going to put it on them. Why wouldn't God just bless them? Why wouldn't God just anoint them? Because then they'd have a different spirit. So you're going to find, and this is very important, I need you to hear me, that, that as our church continues to grow, people will come in that move in the gifts, that move in the power, that have an anointing, that have a leadership mantle. But you've got to recognize, is it the same as what's on the house? Moses, Moses, God said to him, I'm going to take the spirit that is on you because otherwise your leaders, they're going to get puffed up and they can do it and they can do it better and they can see it better. And who, who's this Moses? God. And God says, no, no, for order and for structure, I, I need to take the spirit that is on you and put it on them so they have your heart, your values, your grace. One of the saddest things that, that we've seen is people that have drunk from the grace, drunk from the mercy, drunk from the pastoral care that, that, that comes from Leanne and I, a, a care, will then turn around and brutalize the people under them. I'm like, my, how, that is an incongruency of spirit. You received a spirit of grace and loving kindness, but you want to extend judgment. You want to, that's, that's not how this thing works. DNA. It, it, you know, it, and I always have people say, hey, you know, um, can I meet with you? I've got a pastoral care. I say, oh, we have a great pastoral care team. Oh, no, 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 yeah, no, no, no. Now, this is really important. I need to meet with the senior pastor. And so I say to them, yeah, I say, yeah, Colby knows. And, uh, and I say, no, no, if you've, met with, if you've met with my team, you've met with me. I'm not, like, they're not in there flying Maverick Solo. They're, they're they're under the anointing. They're, they're in those positions because they carry our heart. They carry our DNA. They're not going to tell you anything different. But it's amazing people just that, that independent spirit. So the, the, they were born in his house. The second thing is they were servants. They were servants, not giftants. Don't, don't arm someone just because they've got a great gift. Moses, uh, sorry, Abraham armed the 318 servants. Before they were armed, they were serving. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and lay down his life for many. In fact, I would say to you, your destiny is as great as your serve. The Bible says Jesus is seated at the right hand of power, far above every principality, power, every throne, every dominion. But if you read Philippians 2, it says the reason that he's in the highest place and that God has given him the name above every other name is because Jesus, who was equal with God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the very form of a servant, submitting himself to death, yea, even the death of the cross. Nobody served greater than Jesus. Therefore, no one was exalted higher than Jesus. Can I just say to you, the level of your serve is the level of your greatness, is the level of your destiny. The disciples said, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus says, whoever among you wants to be great must become least and the servant of all. In other words, he says that your, your serving is your greatness. We're in the city to, to serve God in this city. 
We're here to serve our city. Now, you better believe we serve notice to wickedness. We serve notice to the devil. We're not so stupid. Well, you know, I'm just going to pray for Joseph Biden. And we just pray because when he succeeds, we all succeed. No, no, no. We're smart enough to recognize that guy is jacked up. That guy is, is a puppet. Someone else is pulling the strings. There's a wicked agenda. We don't partner with wickedness. We don't coexist with wickedness. We don't do tolerance with wickedness. We drive out wickedness. And then what we do is we serve the city. We serve those who are broken. So tonight is freedom night. Tonight, power, tonight, power will be, will be flowing in Salt Lake City tonight. Power, delivering power, freedom bringing power, demon driving out power, chain and shackle breaking power, generational curses destroying power is going to be flowing at every location in San Diego and Salt Lake City to bring freedom to people who are bound by the devil. We serve our city. Jesus came to serve. Can I just tell you that, that the Bible says be, be very slow in putting people in authority. The Bible says lay hands on no man suddenly. Lay no man's on. on. In, in other words, God tests us with responsibility before he trusts us with authority. Jesus said, if you can't be faithful over a few things, you won't be faithful over many things. But if you can be faithful over a little thing, then I can trust you with big things. It's the story of the kingdom. So someone who says, oh, no, no, that's beneath me. No, 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 my gifting is above that. We've had, had people come in and they're the apostle this and the bishop that and the, 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 the fivefold, they're the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and the teacher. They, they're so anointed. If there was a sixth one, they'd have it too. And so we say, hey, well, listen, would you, you know, would you kind of serve? We've got a need of, I don't have a gift of serving. I only have a gift of leading. I have a gift of platform profile. I have a gift of being on the stage and being worshipped by man and saying, no, don't worship me. I mean, no serve, no arm. No serve, no equip. No serve, no appoint. The way that you serve. Number three, armed. He armed the servants who were born in his house, you better believe that we're not just a church that, that builds itself on volunteers, that builds itself on just, you know, kind of a, a labor force. We, we actually, the goal of you serving is to arm and equip you. We, we believe that the power of God and the authority of God comes on you and it is only safe. That level of power, that level of godly authority is only safe once a servant heart has been developed. One of the most dangerous things is an anointed dictator. One of the most dangerous things is someone who's anointed but no longer has a servant heart that has no heart to serve the people, that has no heart to serve God. That is a dangerous thing. Lucifer was the anointed cherub, but he stopped serving. And he started exalting himself. He started promoting himself. Jesus came in an op op opposite spirit and served. But with the anointing, he came to serve. All right. Number two, go to Acts 16. Acts 16. Acts 16. It says that then, then the apostle Paul came to Derb and Lystra. This is in verse one. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him. 
because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And they went through the cities. They delivered to them the decrees to keep, which they were which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. This is awesome because point number two, number one is the blueprint. Point number two is awkward conversations and difficult moments is the cost of discipleship. If I had the choice between going to the dentist and getting a a deep cleaning where my gums are bleeding or hanging out with you and going to a chocolatier, I'm going to cancel the dentist and go and eat chocolate. The, the human propensity is towards pleasure and away from pain. This creeps in even in discipleship because discipleship requires awkward. I remember it, it was easily 10 years ago, Leanne and I were in Australia for, for Christmas and New Year's and... It was late and because of the jet lag, Leanne had fallen asleep. So I thought, I'm going to go for a walk along the beach and I'm just going to uh, dedicate the year to God. And so I'm walking on the beach, North Wollongong Beach there by Diggies. And I got my hands up and I just said, God, you know, this year, you know, what, 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 what do you want? I said, I'm the whole year. And he's just said two things, two things. He said, faithfulness and awkward conversations. I said, I get the faithfulness one. And he said, I need you to, to embrace as part of your world that you have to have awkward conversations. You can't f- fulfill the plans that I have. You can't complete the assignment that I've given unless you embrace having awkward conversations. Paul finds Timothy, who is, the Bible says, who is a disciple, But now leadership comes in and Paul says, yeah, listen, I want to take you with me. You're going to go from serving in the house to now your next chapter. But first, I've got to circumcise you. Do you know how awkward that conversation is? How do you bring it up? Hey, what do you think of the lamb roast? Delicious. (laughs) Timothy, I couldn't help noticing. How do you bring it up? Timothy, rumor has it that you. How do you bring, it's awkward. It's personal. Timothy, tell me your heart. Well, I feel like I'm anointed to preach. I feel like God has called me. I I totally agree. First, I've got to. How do you. How do you. It's personal, it's private, and it's painful. It's personal, it's private, and it's painful. Here we go. It's a two-way street. Paul, Timothy has to trust Paul with one of the most delicate areas in his life, one of the most vulnerable areas in his life, one of the most personal and private areas of his life, that Paul is able to take a scalpel and cut away the foreskin. Don't give the scalpel to anybody. Listen to me. Leanna, you want to hear this? No, no, I'm just saying, you want to hear this? Just lean in. You want to hear this? 
we're, we're, we're dealing with it. We're, 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 we have the privilege right now observing, observing one of the saddest things, some of the imploding of great ministries and great churches. This is the word of the Lord that came to me. Because they failed to have a Paul to take the scalpel and cut away, they now have taken that scalpel and given it to independent inquiries in the world who have no care to cut delicately but are slashing with the intent to de destroy, with the intent to demise. And you will find that if you don't identify, listen, it's, it's one thing. It's one thing. We know people, they, oh, they love to use the scalpel. They just never want the scalpel used on them. It doesn't work that way. Leanne and I regularly, regularly, Pastor Mike Connell, the scalpel is in his hand. He says, I didn't want to hear that. I don't want to believe that. Leanne, I, amens. I mean, the two of them are against me. If it's not Leanne and the Holy Ghost siding against me, it's Leanne and Mike Connell and the Holy. It's like the Holy Trinity of everyone's against Jurgs. It's not everybody loves Raymond. It's everyone's getting up on Jurgen. But I know, I know, I know that I can trust my bride. Nobody loves me like she does. I can trust my God and I can trust my Connell. And even though I don't want to hear it, and even though it's personal, it's painful and it's private, I know that my submitting to that, to that correction, makes it actually helps me to be incredibly kind and delicate when I have to have. And you cannot get around it. You cannot avoid it. You cannot fluff. You cannot just blow smoke. You cannot just encourage your way through. You have to sit with somebody, earning their trust and say, listen, right now, I have to take a scalpel into areas that are delicate, into areas that, that, are, that are sensitive, into areas that are broken. And this is the point number three, the last one, is because Paul had to cut off the flow of infidelity. The Old Testament the, the covenant of the Old Testament was circumcision. Because Timothy's father was not a Jew, but was a Greek. A Greek man had intermarried with a Jewish woman and produced Timothy. And so Paul says, listen, you've got to let me cut because it's not about the foreskin because we're under a new covenant. But Timothy, I need to make a mark and I need to put some pain in there because your father is a Greek, your father is not devoted to God, your father's value systems, your father's priorities, your, your father's world, his culture is very different to the kingdom. Therefore, your entire journey as a disciple, you need to understand that there's things that flow down that we're going to have to deal with. And some of them are going to be painful and some of them are going to be difficult. Some of them, go Paul had to deal with the infidelities that were flowing down from his father's value system. I've been a pastor for over 30 years, but if I was honest with you, the number one thing that, that God is continually dealing with me and ask, you know, beautiful Pastor Liani, she will say when we had her parents out from Australia, I I don't know whether it was just like, were they worse than they've ever, but I don't think it was that. I think for, because we've become so, so healthy that it, it was, it was, it, it was troubling to, to see some of the things that were flowing down. And I see it in my father. I see it. This never goes away. 
This never goes away. You carry the DNA. You carry the history. You carry the generational cycles. You carry the spiritual flows from your parents on both sides coming down and it will trip you up unless you have an apostle unless you have someone who's a leader someone who's a pastor someone who cares for you that has a scalpel that will deal with those things to just say hey man your temper hey you know this attitude hey this we need that. That's called discipleship. We get people saved and we rejoice when people get saved. That's not the end of the job. That's the beginning. From salvation, we make disciples. Discipleship improves you. Discipleship equips you. Discipleship empowers you. Discipleship promotes you. Discipleship causes you to be fruitful and multiply. Discipleship causes Jesus to come shining forth in your life. Discipleship is the greatest thing. There's nothing. There is nothing that that, that uh, good discipleship doesn't do to set you up for success. I honestly, I am a better man today because of the discipleship, the awkward, the painful, the personal, the private, the difficult moments. Embrace it, lean into it. And then at the same time, if you're in any level of leadership and responsibility, you've got to have it. You've got to have those conversations. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Finish with 60 seconds on the clock. Come on. It's the first time for everything. First time for everything. Come on. Lift your hands high to heaven. Just lift your hands high to heaven. Just let, let that word settle. Let that word settle. Hopefully we, we recorded it. I'm pretty sure we did. And we're going to make, make this available because I... It's just really, really good to revisit the basics again, to revisit the DNA of who we are again. You can't say you love somebody if you see something in their life that is going to cause them to implode or self-destruct or ruin their, their life, their marriage, their ministry, their destiny. Love sits with. But I, I've actually found that it, the two-way street is, is that People have trusted me, but I also find that my response then is I want to make sure that I earn that trust and never violate that trust. It's a two-way street. Don't just give anybody. Don't just give. People come into our churches all the time and, you know, you've never met them. And they're like, I just want you to know that right now, like, you know, I, I've been living as a drug addict and a prostitute. And it's like, hang on, sweetheart, I don't even know your name. And, and th th there's a cry. There's a cry in them. For, hey, will someone take a scalpel? But sweetheart, you are so broken. You've been abused by so many people. Darling, you need to get into, start serving, just start getting healed so you can trust who to give the scalpel to. Amen. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. We thank you, Lord God, that Awaken Church is a, is a disciple-making church, that we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Every single one of us, this is not just for Pastor Mike Yeager to go and make disciples, even though it's probably a good moment to... No, no, excuse me. No, every single one of us, who are you discipling? Who are you reproducing yourself in? Who are, you bring, who are you teaching your craft, your skill sets to? Who, who, who is your Paul and who is your Timothy? You're a Timothy to a Paul and then you're a Paul to a Timothy. Every one of us need a Paul and every one of us should have a Timothy. Amen. Amen. Come on, would you welcome Pastor Rick as he comes back up. What a word. What a word. Come on.
I mean, who's, who's grateful?